Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, forgives our sins, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have not done, and by what we have not done. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may be delighted in your will, and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake he forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sin, in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated to the singing of our baptismal hymn. Matthew, 
saying, Go ye therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And again, the Word of God says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children. This child, as all others, was not born with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, infants, though seemingly innocent, are, according to Scripture, by birth and nature sinful, and are, as Scripture says, children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. They cannot, therefore, by their own reason or strength, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or come to Him, and yet faith in Christ is essential for salvation. For Scripture says in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And our Lord Jesus Himself says, no one comes unto me, rather unto the Father, but by me. Therefore, we can never thank God enough that He has made baptism. That means by which the Holy Spirit creates that faith in an infant's heart which links him to Jesus Christ. Thus the Apostle of our Lord says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. And again, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And so today we again see God working, God regenerating that which is spiritually dead. For Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration. Baptism is God's gracious work. And it's not ours. And through it, the Christian life has its beginning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Observe then the grace and the mighty work of our merciful God. Jason, Connor, Rethan, receive the sign of the Holy Cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Before baptizing Jason into the triune God, I ask you parents and you sponsors, you're present to bear witness to and publicly pledge that you will faithfully remember this child in your prayers, put him in mind of his baptism, that he would not forget what God has graciously herein begun, and sponsors that you will give your counsel and aid especially, should he lose his parents, that he may be brought up in the true knowledge and worship of God and be taught the Ten Commandments and the Creed and the Lord's Prayer, that he, as he grows in years, that he'd be brought to the services of God's house, provide for further, that you would provide for further instruction in the Christian faith, that he may come to the sacrament of the Lord's table, Christ's body and blood, and thus abiding in baptismal grace and in communion with the church, he may grow up to lead a godly life to the praise and the honor of Jesus Christ. This, then, you intend gladly and willingly to do. If so, say yes with the help of God. Yes, with the help of God. God, enable you to will and to do these works of his love, and with his grace fulfill all that we of ourselves are unable to do. Sponsors, I now ask you to answer in the name and in the stead of this child the questions that I'm about to address to him in order that all here might be reminded of what repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit here works in this child with the glory of God the Father. Jason Connor Reed, do you renounce the devil and all of his works and all of his ways? If so, say, I renounce them. I renounce them. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? If so, say, I do believe. 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. If so, say, I do believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? If so, say, I do believe. I do believe. Will you be baptized, then, into this holy Christian faith? If so, declare it by saying, I will. Jason Connor Rican, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has begotten you of water and the Spirit and has forgiven you all of your sin. May he now strengthen you with his grace unto life everlasting. Amen. we now are by God's grace children of his life. The Lord bless your coming in and your going out from this time forth even now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Son came down from heaven to be the true bread that gives life to the world. 
Grant that Christ, the bread of life, may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament reading for this, the the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, is from 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more. Also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them The epistle reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the fourth chapter. This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, 
that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that I should, do, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the gospel of the Lord. Together now we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the Old Testament lesson, the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, these verses in particular. And Elijah went by himself a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. It was Thomas Jefferson who once said, When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. It's kind of a catchy witticism. But when you reach the end of your rope and you simply don't have the strength to hang on, you simply don't have the stamina to hang on anymore, to tie a rope and to hang on, then what do you do, Tom? Then what do you do? That's the sense of desperation that was described by another man named Herbert Barks, who once wrote, What's beyond the end of the rope? When the bottom is reached and your rope has run out and the emotions are drained, and life's perspective is lost. What's beyond the end of your rope? Another day comes, he says, wanted to or not. Another day comes in a quiet, lonely room with no one to share your breakfast. Another day comes in your oiled walnut office where decisions are expected even though your rope has long since run out. Another day comes in marriages where words stand silent in the corner. What's beyond the end of your rope? No more rope. And God turns his globe round and round, and we have another day. Bach's description of depression, and so often what comes to people is most depressing in itself, isn't it? But there are those days that people have that are like that, days when people feel that their end has come and that they're at the end of their rope and they simply need to let go because they're so tired of hanging on. People feel that way from time to time. And sadly, there are some people who feel that way most of the time. Perhaps it's due to stress or to work-related problems or to family-related problems or through some physiological disorder that they have or through some chemical imbalance in their bodies or their brains. Or it might be significant losses in their lives that require them to make changes that they'd rather not have to make. And they feel like they're at that, what someone described as that space between trapezes. When there's nothing to hang on to and you only hope that the, something is coming from the other side that you can eventually swing on. It's not a feeling that's new to us in our generation, as though others hadn't experienced it before. No, it's been there ever since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. It's been there since it became a part of our nature because of sin and you have been and you will be there if you haven't been there in life because you're a sinner no different from all the rest of us. A sinner living with other sinners in a sin-ridden world wherein the world and the prince of the world and our old sinful self within us as Paul talks about in today's epistle lesson wears us out and wears us down and then finally has us doing those very things that the evil one gives us, as St. Paul says, opportunity to do. 
Look at Elijah, for example, in our text for today. In that Old Testament lesson, sleeping in the wilderness beneath a broom tree, a broom tree which spread out a good distance. It's actually more of a shrub, more of a bush than it is a tree, growing to 10, 12, 15 feet tall, spreading out an equal distance, providing shelter at night from the wind, providing shelter from the sun during the day. And there Elijah is, underneath his broom tree, sleeping in a dire strait of depression. And it's not simply because he's tired. It's not simply because he's physically worn out from the journey in the wilderness. That would be a normal kind of a rest and sleep. Elijah was sleeping the sleep of the depressed. He was at the end of his rope. He was sleeping that sleep from which you'd rather not awake, sleeping that sleep wherein, wherein your mind is free for at least a few hours of time from whatever fear it is that torments you during your conscious hours. What fear could possibly be tormenting Elijah? After all, this is a prophet of God who had been in so many challenges with which he'd been confronted, a successful prophet in so many ways. The most recent success being a royal challenge that had been leveled against him, a head-on confrontation with the king of Israel named Ahab and his wicked wife named Jezebel. And Ahab at his wife's persistent prodding had personally fallen to gross idolatry worshiping one of the local deities whose moral and spiritual restraints and restrictions were much more to Jezebel's liking than the moral and the religious absolutes of Israel's God. And so turning their backs on the God of their fathers, they turned their faces toward this popular God of the age as people so often do, one far more tolerant of those who have, as St. Paul wrote in the epistle lesson for today, become callous and given themselves up to sensuality in which they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul intentionally leaves a, a lot to the imagination there. What then? To set things straight, God orders Elijah to challenge the 450 prophets of Baal to a contest. This would be a duel of deities, some would think. Not much of a challenge for God because there are no other deities, but a real challenge for his prophet who was but one standing against 450 prophets of Baal. Here they are, 450 against the one, a bit outnumbered, you'd say. But commanded by God, who is not impressed by numbers, and remembering outnumbered saints before him who had conquered figures bigger than that, who had conquered giants bigger than his, men like Abraham, who with 318 men defeated the armies of kings, men like Moses, who lifting up his arms over the Red Sea, conquered a whole army of thousands that belonged to the Pharaoh, or Gideon, whose army God streamlined from tens of thousands down finally to 300 with which he conquered the Midianites. And of course there was David who brought down a giant in his army with a stone instead of with 10,000 arrows. With a God like this on your side, who needs numbers? And so Elijah, the lone prophet of God, stands alone against these 450 prophets of Baal that had gathered together on Mount Carmel. 
450 of them crying out to Baal, Scripture tells us, from early morning until noon, trying to get Baal's attention, who, of course, because he is not, would not hear them. And then from noon to evening, to try to get Baal to hear them and to respond, they cry out ceremoniously and they go ceremoniously about the altar, cutting themselves with swords and with lances, Scripture tells us. But scripture says there was no voice and no one answered. And then Elijah said to the people, come near unto me. And the people did. And he ordered the rebuilding of the altar that these prophets of Baal in their frenzied madness had all but destroyed. And the sacrifice on the altar was placed there and water was poured over it. Not once, not twice, but three times the water falling down into trenches that Elijah had been ordered to be dug around that altar, flowing into the trenches more water than would be needed. And then calmly, with dignity, with confidence, Elijah stepped up before the altar and he simply prayed, Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that thou art God. And scripture says, then the fire of the Lord fell from heaven and, conquered the, uh, and consumed the burnt offering and consumed the wood and the stones and the dust and it even licked up the water that was in the trenches. Now one would have thought, as Elijah did, that seeing this indisputable demonstration of God's power, one would think that the, the people at the time would have regained their senses, that they would have enthusiastically followed Elijah and Elijah's God, but they didn't. At first they were impressed, but it wasn't long before their fickleness and faithlessness and the, found it more convenient to once again follow the social and the religious, the civic religion of their day. Instead of following the true God that has been revealed to them by Elijah, disgusted with the people, backed into a corner, fearful of the revenging wrath of the king and the queen, Elijah becomes depressed. It seemed that the Lord had led him into a time of crisis, and then to the crest of success, and then suddenly, without warning, dropped him and deserted him to failure. He felt alone. He felt abandoned, frustrated, afraid, betrayed. He hated life. He begged indeed for death, as we can see. And then, as those greatly depressed often do, Elijah sought to become a recluse, running away from his problem, running away from people, determined to even try to run away from God, who he felt had left him down. And carrying himself into the wilderness, he took his mind and his heart into hiding, and he became a prisoner of himself, and he slumped into the silence of his soul where he nursed his depression with self-pity and he wanted only to sleep his life away. He felt he was at the end of his rope and he wanted only one thing, to die and to be left alone. And so he prayed, Lord, I've had enough. Take away my life for I'm no good. Anyone who's been there and who has safely come back from the depth of that kind of depression knows how terrible and horrifying the feeling of it all can be. It's like being disconnected from everyone around you so that you're physically there but no one seems to even notice that you're there anymore. It's being so emotionally disjointed 
that it seems that you're totally out of place in the world, that you're a misfit, that you're a mistake, that you're unwanted, floating around unnoticed, perhaps Perhaps, indeed, those that have been there without knowing it have had a glimpse of what hell is like. The eternal separation from everything that makes us feel like anything, the sin-caused separation from God where souls beg to non-exist rather than to exist eternally and be depressed. Elijah was in that state of deep depression. He was at the end of his rope. He was ready to drop off. But friends, that's not where God would have his people be, and that's not where God would leave his people when they're there. Elijah sinfully had given up on himself. Elijah sinfully had given up on God. But God was not about to give up on Elijah. And there underneath the juniper tree, an angel of God suddenly appears into Elijah in this horrible state, into the silent solitude of his depression, commanding him with a, a voice startling him from his sleep and saying, Arise, wake up. Arise and eat. Too depressed to resist, he half-heartedly ate what was set before him, and then he rolled over, intending to sleep again. But this time the angel physically comes over and he touches him and he grabs him and he gets him up and he says, no, arise now and eat, otherwise the journey will be too great for you. And Elijah thinks to himself, journey? What do you mean journey? I haven't come here to take a trip, I've come here to die. And you see God, through then that agent, that angel was prompting, pushing, prodding this man who was at the end of his rope determined to give up. He wasn't about to spoon-feed him while he lay hopelessly on his back. He got him up and he moved him on until days later he came to a cave at the top of the mountain where finally he began talking to God. And he told the Lord of his feelings and he told the Lord of his troubles and God listened and then the most fascinating thing of this whole account transpires God himself comes to strengthen him. The angel led him to the Lord at the mountaintop and then God himself came to strengthen him, not as he had come earlier with the 450 prophets of Baal, not as Elijah perhaps would want him to come with power or consuming fire. He comes to his depressed prophet in a small and a still and a gentle voice and in that time and place. He delivers him from the hell of his own depression and he sets his feet on a new course in life and Elijah went forth a new man confident that God still had all things under control and that God indeed always would. God has done and God will always do the same thing for each one of you. When we've had it with life, when we've reached the end of our rope, when we find ourselves feeling the depression of hell, if you will, and to which our sins would gladly lead us. He sends someone to prod us and to lift us up on our feet again and to move us on, pushing us on forward so that we stay awake long enough to hear that small and that still and that gentle voice of Jesus saying, I have come that you may have life and that you might have it abundantly. I have come 
And there on the cross it is most amply indicated and shown and manifested that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly of Jesus who died there upon that cross that we might have abundant life, that the abundance of our sins might be lifted from us and the abundance of his life might be given to us so that we then can move forward toward that goal to which he's called us because he's told us that nothing can separate us from his love, neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nothing unless I repeatedly refuse to hear that still small voice of God and the promises of my Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, just as the angel sent a miracle bread before Elijah, bread that gave him strength to go on for 40 days and for 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, so God's messengers today set before you week in and week out, as we've heard in the past weeks in the gospel readings, the bread of life. Week after week, the bread of life set before you as pilgrims journeying here on your homeward way. And the messengers of God setting before you that bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might finally come to that same mountaintop and hear the Lord Jesus say to you, Come, thou blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so when you feel at your rope's end, when you feel too tired and wearied to go on, don't expect God to come to your aid with brute force. Don't expect him to come with a consuming fire as he came to the prophets of Baal. He has not promised to come with brute force or with consuming fire in our day. But he has promised to come with the sound of gentle stillness, even as he came to Elijah in his wilderness depression, even as he came to the virgin mother of our Lord as a gentle baby in Bethlehem, or to the fisherman of Galilee as a gentle man who went out of his way to make the desperate people smile again with life and the dying to live again, or to the lost sheep of Israel that he might gather them together as we've heard in weeks past unto himself, or as he went to Calvary in his gentleness, to make the guilty guiltless and the sinner sinless, not with the loud sounds of a rebelling man, but rather with the silence of a sheep that was on his way to the slaughter. And so also our Lord Jesus comes today, even now, with the sound of gentle stillness through his word and his sacraments. In the sounds of this hour, he comes in the sounds and the stillness of water flowing over a child's head in baptism, as you saw earlier on. He comes in the stillness of bread and wine, passing over a sinner's lips in his holy supper with his very body and blood, as will happen at the next service today. There Christ is, even there in his holy supper, as the old German hymn put it, Verbogen and Brod so klein hidden in bread so small. But that's where Christ comes to us today, hidden in these smaller and gentler ways. But make no mistake about it. In that gentle stillness in which God comes to us is indeed all the strength and the power of God.
So when you're at your rope's end, don't despair. Don't despair because you have that promise from God that Christ is right there with you at your rope's end. And where your rope ends, there, as someone has said, the hem of Christ's garment has only begun. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
of the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. We pray. Lord of the Church, who has drawn us to yourself and has sealed us for the day of redemption by your Spirit through baptismal faith, grant that all the baptized would grow daily in faith toward you and ever increase in your love, in our love for one another, living from your promises, trusting in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Receive our thanks, we pray, that by the new baptismal birth of water and the Spirit you have received this morning, little Jason Connor, reekin unto yourself. Grant that the trust in Jesus Christ you've created and planted here might be enriched and nourished throughout his life. That he's, as he's brought to hear your word preached and in time receive the blessed supper, he would grow and be strengthened in Christ for apart from him and the eternal life Christ gives we are and can do nothing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Shepherd of our souls, continue to, continue to grant pastors who are faithful to your word and calling, and people eager to hear them and eager to share the love of Christ with those who yet know him not. Bless your servant, the Reverend Martin Noland, who today is installed as pastor of your people of Trinity Lutheran Church, Evansville, Indiana, that all that is preached and administered by him would be received, as it is in truth, from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Life-giving Holy Spirit, receive our praise for the work you've accomplished through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, shared with the children this past week of our vacation Bible school. As it pleases you to accomplish that for which you send it, work through that word to create or nourish faith in the hearts of the children in the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, grant courage to those throughout the world who confess you in word and deed, including those of Springs of Life Lutheran Church in Kenya, who have been persecuted for the confession of your name. May they be helped through the VBS offering collected and now sent, embolden them to live the confession of faith with eyes fixed on the imperishable riches of heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of the nations who has established the institution of government for our good, grant wisdom and godly discernment to our president and Congress, courts, and all who serve in positions of public trust. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless those who, like Elijah of old, are worn and wearied by the world. Bless those with strength of mind and spirit that currently despair. Bless those with strength of health of body that presently are feeble or ailing, sick, infirmed, including brothers in Christ, brother in Christ Paul Duell and Dick Much, also Elsie Much, Ralph Chambers. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Lord Christ, by your resurrection, comfort those who mourn the death in the faith of loved ones, including Ardis Miller and family who mourn the death of her husband, Glenn, that they would rest securely in your promise, that whoever has by grace believed in you has eternal life, and you will raise him up on the last day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. With Jack and Bobby Thomas, who celebrate with gratitude their 53 years of marriage, we give you thanks, and we ask that you would continue to be the foundation for them and for all Christian husbands and wives in marriage and in the home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
who has taught us together to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, you sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that he may rule and direct us according to your will, comfort us in all of our temptations and afflictions, defend us from all error, and lead us into all truth, that we, being steadfast in faith, may increase in all good works, and in the end, by your grace, obtain everlasting life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.